0: My name is Tristan. I'm from the Orlando campus, and I'm here to talk about contagious fun. I never went to church when I came to America uh, my first couple years, and then I was blessed to get a scholarship to Coastal Carolina University, where I played four years of Division I basketball, and that was an incredible time. All praise be to God that uh, we went to the NCAA tournament twice. So I have two conference rings and my senior year, I was scholar athlete of the year. And so, I mean, it was fun. It was a blessing. And I really thought that basketball was going to be my entire life. But I mean, I was living life the way I wanted to, um, sleeping around, drinking, what, you know, having that college athlete lifestyle. But it was very unfulfilling, honestly. I kind of had an encounter with God. You know, it was the first time in my life that it clicked to me that God actually wasn't so far away. And my biggest hold back was, well, God, I mean, if I give my life to you, I'm gonna stop having fun. I I can't do the things I wanted to do. And that is not true. I mean, I've had the most fun in my life living with the Lord and on this journey of faith because I'm blessed. And so because of that, I live my life. I want people to know that God is good, literally. God is good all the time. I look forward to church every week. I'm excited, I'm like, I'm gonna go to church, we're gonna get it done, we're gonna have some fun, we're gonna worship the Lord with all we got and then we're gonna receive from God and then we're gonna go and we're not just gonna hear it, we're gonna apply it to our lives. Having fun in church can help people to relax and let them realize that I don't have to have this perfect altogether face on, I could just be who I am. I can come with all of my baggage. I can bring everything I have and come into this sanctuary, which should be a safe place. One of my favorite stories in the Bible pertaining to joy was when King David had just brought, they were just bringing the um, Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that David was dancing in the street, basically naked. Now I'm not saying no one should dance naked in church, but that just shows that his joy of the Lord. And I was like, yo, David, I can relate except the naked part, but I can relate with that. So let's do it. And so that's why, you know, I I love dancing in church. I feel as though, how can we dance everywhere else? But the minute we get in church, we're like, or we can shout at basketball games, but we we get in church and we're just quiet. But, you know, I believe that this is a place that is judgment free, let it all out because we're not not here to impress anyone. No, we're here to worship God just being authentic in your worship can encourage someone to just take their next steps in Christ. We go to the beach and we have fun. We go to Disney World and we have fun. And it should be even more fun at church because we're in the presence of God, our creator, who loves us more than we could ever imagine. Who wants only the good for us? Who has a plan for us? I mean, it's all throughout the Bible. The Lord tells us to rejoice. We're all a group of broken people, everyone's broken, you know, none of us are perfect, we don't have it all together. Being with a group of people, being with a church, a family that's always encouraging you to, hey, take your next step, hey, take your next step, that is something very special and that's something I do not take for granted and I love it.
1: Well, welcome to Grace. We are excited that you're here. Hey, um, how are we doing? We good? We good? Awesome. 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 Great. Uh, So we are finishing a 10-week series on um, what we call the house rules. And if you are just kind of showing up right now, uh, I would love to encourage you, if you're interested in grace and this is kind of your first time, if you want to know what our culture is like, go back and listen to the messages. They're online. We've got videos. We've got audios. We've got all kinds of stuff. So go back, check those out. We have been looking at what we call our house rules. And every house has its rules. And so these rules are basically culture statements, right? And the culture of an organization, a church, your business, the one that you're a part of, there's a culture behind it. They may have it written on the wall somewhere, but they may not. It may just be kind of like the the DNA of what's happening all through the organization. And so, but the culture of a church is its lifeblood. I remember uh, Pastor Tim Keller. uh, He was uh, from, he's from Redeemer Presbyterian Church in uh, Manhattan in New York City. And he was talking about these two different churches. He said, all right, you can have two different churches that have exactly the same kind of theology. In other words, they can believe exactly the same thing about Jesus. They can believe exactly the same thing about both sin, heaven, and hell. They can believe the same things about ethics and morality. And yet, the experience of going to both of those churches can be radically different. And it has everything to do with the culture of the church. I experienced this firsthand when I first became um, interested in uh, Christianity. I was 17 years old. I stepped foot in the church for the first time. And when I stepped foot in the church for the first time, uh, God was already at work in my heart. He was already, you know, filling me with a desire to know him, a desire to understand the things of God. I was all about learning about Jesus. And so I'd go to church, and it didn't matter who was talking. It didn't matter what kind of—I remember just certain impressions. I remember kind of just I remember walking in and listening to the music and every single bit of, I mean, this was the 80s. We had great music, right? And, and, and you, you would go in, you would go in and everything sounded like a funeral, right? And I was like, okay, cool. I guess that's just what church music is supposed to sound like. And so I did the church thing and it was, it was fine. It was great. Um, but the first time I tried to invite my friends, because uh, I had a group of friends that were really close to me, none of them were churched, like I wasn't church, didn't grow up in the church, and so, and many of them didn't either, and so I said, hey, listen, you got to come to this thing that I've been doing, and the reason why I was doing it was because this really, really cute girl uh, in high school said, hey, if you come to a church with me, I'll hang out with you. I said, well, let's go to church, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and so I started, it's a terrible thing, it's called missionary dating, and it's awful, and you shouldn't do it. 99% of the time, it doesn't work out, and only one once in a while, does it ever work out? And so you're thinking, oh, so I, there's a chance. No, no, there's really not. Don't do it. Listen to last week's sermon, it was all about being equally yoked, all right? So I'm hanging out with her. We're going to church. I say, hey, guys, come check it out. You got to come check out church with me. I say, they're like, okay, we'll go, reluctantly. And, uh, and so they came, they sat through it all. And at the end of it, like, I just felt like the God was speaking to me. And I didn't even have language to describe that. But, but I just felt like it was great. I felt like I learned some stuff and it was helpful. And, uh, and they, I said, what did you guys think? Like, it was awesome, wasn't it? And they're like, "This." they said, why did you do that to us? Like, why, why would you bring us here? It was terrible. The pastor was ugly. The sermon was dumb. Like, everything was terrible about it. And I was just like, what are you talking about? And it just suddenly struck me that God was doing some things inside of me that allowed me to look past a lot of that stuff. But watch this, watch this. If we're going to reach people who are far from God, listen, Orlando is the number one de-churched city in America. That means more people have given up on church. They were once attenders in church and just said, hey, we're out. Why? Uh, there's reasons, and everybody has a reason, and I'm not, you may be here today, and you're like, somebody just like, they drove me here, you know, like I, they said, let's go to breakfast, and then they just, you pulled into the parking lot, and you're like, what the crap, and, uh, and, and, and that's fine, like, but listen, and if that's where you're at right now, that's okay, because we've all been where you are right now. And there's lots of reasons why you don't want to come to church and lots of valid reasons for that. But, but there's also lots of valid reasons for not doing all kinds of things that you do. And so I just realized, like, if we're going to reach people who are far from God, if we're going to reach people who are de-church people, we're going to reach people like myself that didn't have any religion growing up whatsoever. If you're going to speak to someone like me and you're going to speak to someone who once had it and then rejected it, it's got to make sense to them. And it's got to have some kind of draw to that. And so I started thinking about it. And so here we are, our house rule number 10. Contagious fun. We enjoy our work in each other. Like this is one of the things. Like when I when we started, my wife and I started this church, right? It has four different campuses around Central Florida, okay? And when we started this church, the reason why, like we had lots of reasons why we started it, but when we started it, I thought to myself, I want to create a place where everybody who's on staff wants to stay on staff. Like everybody who's here wants to be here. Like this is a place where you work and you're gonna enjoy it. Like how many of you wish that was the operating principle behind your job right now? Okay, just raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be super helpful, right? Some of you are like, I don't care, you know? And, uh, but, but, but that's the operating principle. Like, we just wanted everybody to have a connection point. We wanted everybody to be together. And the average, like, how long a person stays at a church on staff is three years. We have numerous people at this campus that have been with us 10, 12, 13 years. The church is only, uh, it'll be 16 years old in March. So we have people who've been with us for a long, long time. Why? Because we're on mission and because we don't mind having fun doing it. And listen, you might think, well, fun's really trivial. Why are we talking about fun? Well, actually, we're going to talk about work in a second. But fun is not something that we can seek directly, because um, I think we err when we do that. Fun is a byproduct of a heart that's set at ease because the gospel is present. And I want, you to, like, I want you to understand, like, fun is a byproduct of a heart that's set at ease because the gospel is present. In other words, when you're not walking around weighed down by the sins of the world, when you're walking around weighed down by the worries of the world, and you get to walk with that kind of, like, um, that kind of winsomeness where you're not being pushed around by everybody and everything, then your heart's lighter and you have the ability just to be able to be a little bit more clear and a little bit more fun along the way. And so I want to talk about this because this is not where we are right now in our culture. Our culture would not be described as one that is winsome. Um, in fact, I did some research this week and I looked at, uh, at, at uh, um, this amazing statistic and uh, What's the biggest stress at work? Uh, most people, for most people, uh, no surprise, it's one's boss, right? Your boss. Boss is a stress. Boss tends to have power over us. It's stressful, right? How many of you hate your boss? Raise your hand. No, no, don't, 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 don't raise your hand. <laughs> that was fantastic. Someone, before I even got it out, some of you were like, all right. So, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. So, here I am. I'm, I'm getting. Uh, I'm getting some lab work last week because I'm radically unhealthy. And, uh, and so, so I'm, getting some, I'm getting some, like, blood work done. And the, the doctors you know, the, this lady comes in. She's like, all right, pull up your sleeve. And she was a little aggressive, you know. And, uh, you know, she's about to take my blood. I don't really like that. And so, but she comes at me like she's going to shiv me. I mean, you know, I was like, I was, so, so, but she comes in and, and she, I put my arm out. And she goes, it just, just pops it. I was like, it's like, how you doing? You know, and, and she's just—I mean, like she just opens up. Listen, I don't know what it is about me because there's nothing on my thing that says, "Hey, Pastor Mike, coming to get blood." Right? Like, there's nothing. It's just like Mike, right? And uh, and, and so, like, I don't know what it is. People just open up to me. The other day, this guy, this guy, this is terrible. I shouldn't be laughing. This guy's like, "Oh, my wife's having an affair." See, it wasn't funny at all. And uh, see, my wife's having an affair, and I'm like. so sorry, man. You think I could get that movie ticket? You know, and I'm just like, I'm just trying to go into a movie right now. People just open up all the time. She says, she says to me, she goes, hey, she goes, man, I've had three miscarriages. And she goes, and you know, she talked about the hospital that she was at. She goes, this place treats us terribly. You know, my job is awful. I'm getting ready to leave it after like 15 years. You know, just everything's going to junk here and blah, blah, blah. And she started talking about just like all this woundedness and brokenness just poured out of her. And a lot of it centered around her work and like the perceived injuries that she had accumulated because of what was going on. Work is a very, very powerful and meaningful thing in our life. And when it's not, when it's not strategically thought about, it can be something that can become one of the worst things in our life. So 80% of the people, they said, said, said that, you know, this is, a, this is a big problem, our bosses, right? So sometimes our boss can be a, a trouble. Also, another 80% noted that a leadership change, such as a new direct manager or somebody else in the organization higher up moving, caused all kinds of stress in their own life. But more personally, here's a couple of things that said, and maybe you fit into some of these categories. 76% of respondents said that workplace stress had a negative impact on their personal relationships. In other words, what was happening at work ended up affecting the way that they treated their wives or their husband or their children or their friends. And it was a big deal for them. Like, it was a big deal for them. 66% said that they've lost sleep due to work-related stress. Um, 16% have quit jobs because stress became too overwhelming. Like They just literally left. I have a friend, good friend, he attends this church Uh, probably eight or nine years ago. He said, hey, this guy was, he was, he's a smart, he's a smart cat. Uh, He was building a biotech startup with a bunch of other guys. And he's just a, he's a smart guy. And he said, hey, I just, I'm just kind of at the end of myself right now. He's like, I just don't, I don't know what, he's like, I I think I'm going to make the the radical decision to give up a tons of money, all these shares, equity in the business and all this kind of stuff. And I just want to take a small job at a hospital nearby so I can be there for my girls as they go through high school. And he just made a strategic, and he just did it, severed it, and made a strategic decision to do that because for him, the relationships mattered more than just the job itself. And when we start thinking about our job, one of the reasons why we can't let go of it sometimes, why this is so important, is because of what it means to us, that it means too much to us. I'm going to get to that a little bit late, later. So why is work so complicated? I mean, why do we come in and have bad days? Why can't everything be great? You ever drive down the road and you just hit all green lights? It's like the best and beautiful. It's, be, it's great. Why? Because, because normally that's just not the case. Like when I, when I hit that Maitland Avenue, Maitland Boulevard light, I feel like I just won the lottery. You know, I'm just like, thank you, praise you, Jesus, you know. And when I don't, I'm just like, why is the world against me, you know? Let me, and and, and let, me, let me tell you why that is. It comes straight out of the Bible. There is actually a spiritual reason for that and not just an organizational reason. There's a spiritual reason and not just a psychological one, although they come together. Here we go. Genesis chapter 3, 17 through 19, up on the screen. Verse 17 starts like this. Let me, let me, let me describe the this, this scenario before we jump into it. Adam and Eve have basically said to God, hey, Adam and Eve, if you don't know, were well, the two first, first two created beings in the world. And when God created Adam and Eve, he put them in this place called Eden. The word Eden in both uh, Arama- uh, uh, Hebrew and uh, Arabic means uh, bliss. Okay? So he created them in a bliss. In other words, God created these two human beings good, and they were beautiful, and the horizontal relationship between Adam and Eve was perfect. It was holy. There was no, you know, he said, she said, she did this, he did that, none of that. There was just love, and then not only was the horizontal relationship good, but the vertical relationship was good as well. Their relationship with God was so their relationship with God, with God was so close that the Bible says that God walked with them in the garden, in the cool of the day. And then one day they made a decision, and that decision was to basically say, "I'm going to. We're going to." choose to try to find our happiness outside of God. And so when they made that choice, something happened both internally and externally, and we're going to talk about what happened externally, and then we're going to talk about what happened internally. Externally, what happened was that the world that God created for them, for human flourishing, so that they would would thrive and survive in a world that was utterly perfect, that would not resist them, that would not push back against them, God said, hey, if you don't want me, then I'm going to take the environment that I created for you, and I'm going to I'm going to change it, right? Because you can't have perfection and not have me, right? And that's what this is. God literally curses the earth. He doesn't curse work. Work was in the Garden of Eden. It was part of it. Adam worked and tilled the soil, and Eve worked and tended the garden. But this is what happens afterwards. Verse 17 says this, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. Now listen, Everything Adam and Eve planted prior to their fall and their rebellion against God when this perfect environment just thrived. I mean, it was great. Everything that they planted came up roses and good. It was awesome. Now, listen, I love my wife with all my heart. She is one of the smartest people I've ever met. She's one of the kindest, most wonderful people that I've ever met. But she cannot keep a plant alive for the sake of it. Like, we have plastic plants at home that die, right? Like, I mean, it is legitimately weirdly cursed, Okay. Now, but that, but that is the function. That function, that problem is the function of this curse. So he's saying, "Hey, listen, you're going to work the soil. You're going to work the ground, but it's going to rebel against you." See, when we turned our back on God's rule, He removed His environment from us, and that's one of the reasons why when you go to work today and you you struggle and you push back and you expect all your plans, which are going to be great plans, you expect everybody else to go, "Yeah, I'm on board with you." And when they're going, "I, I don't really know." And, and, and sometimes this is what happens when you're at work and someone's trying to step on you on their way up over you. This kind of tension comes from this curse. Verse 18, it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat of the plants of the field. So he's going to eat of the plants of the field, but every time he tries to grab them, they're going to poke them, right? There's going to be thorns, there's going to be thistles. This happens when you design a plan at work and then you, you submit the plan and someone goes, here's what's dumb about your plan and they're wrong and you're right right? That's pushback. That's thorns and thistles. Those are are the things that you and I have experienced over and over again, but we've never really thought about them as having a spiritual origin. We always think about them as having kind of like interpersonal origins. In other words, I don't like her because of this, and she doesn't like me, and he's an ex on the Myers-Briggs, and I'm a those oats on the Myers-Briggs. And then we just like, you know, and we just, that's why we don't like each other. That's frustration. But really, the frustration's deeper because it's about what's going on on the inside of us. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. See, Kansas is awesome, right? Dust in the wind, that's where this comes from, right? Okay, everyone's young. Okay, uh, cool. Um, Three ways that this curse affected work, just you'll see up there, I want to summarize this. Number one, work will no longer be automatically joyful or fun. It just won't be. So when you go into work with the attitude to say, hey, you know what, I'm going I'm to experience some thorns and thistles today, that can change the way that you perceive your work. You can expect pushback from things, and when you get pushback, you can dedicate yourself to overcoming it, which we're going to talk about in one moment. Number two, the world, uh, the world will no longer cooperate with our work plans, thorns and thistles. Number three, work will be more difficult than it should be. How many of you have been at work and you're like, man, this seems like it should be easier than it is and it's just not, raise your hands, right? I just want you to see, this is a universal human experience, right? People who don't have their hands up just lie, right? Okay, so, so that's just what everybody struggles with. We all struggle with that. We've been there before. So if you'll open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 13, 11 through 14. If you don't know where that is, that's cool on the Bible that was given to you on the way in, uh, right there on page 1074. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 through four. Now let me just tell you what's, as you're turning there, the Apostle Paul, who was chosen by Jesus to be an ambassador for Christianity in its most early days, he was the first scholar of Christianity. He wrote almost a third of the New Testament. He was also a murderer, and he was a teacher of the law. And so the Paul that writes this is writing to a Corinthian church, and we've talked about this before. The Corinthian church is filled with like worldliness. It's filled with people who are like, yeah, you know, I I like Jesus, but I also like sleeping around and I like doing this and I like doing that and I like doing what, whatever. Like I just, I, I want a little Jesus sprinkled into my life but I want to do whatever I want to do. Just this, that's what I want to do. That was the Corinthian church and so the whole first part of this thing, right? The whole first part of chapter 13 is Paul just throwing the smack down on these guys, right? Just coming in going, hey, this is not going to help your life. Nothing, when you sin, when you make conscious decisions to sin, that never brings happiness and joy to your life. And he just just plows over these guys. And at the very end, as he's just kind of doing his little signature at the end, as he signs off the letter, he writes these words, and they're beautiful and amazing. Look at what it says, verse 11. He says, finally, brothers. Now, that word finally means in summation or in conclusion. In conclusion, brothers. Brothers always include sisters. Brothers, rejoice. The word rejoice right there in Hebrew, it actually means be happy. It means be happy, right? So finally, brothers, be happy happy. Now, I love that he comes in and says, hey, here's all these things that you're doing wrong right now, and, and I love you, and as a spiritual father, I want to say these things to you because I don't want you walking down a path that you don't need to walk down because this is what happens to us. We walk down paths in our life, and those paths either lead us to predetermined ends that are good or predetermined ends that are bad. And while sometimes we can't see what the predetermined ends are down the road, we start feeling those predetermined ends before we arrive there. Somewhere along the way, we go, huh? I'm saying, why do I feel so terrible right now? Why is my life falling apart? Why am I receiving all these consequences? It's not God cursing you. It's not God being angry with us. It's the result of the world in which we live in and the consequences or the choices that we're making. So he says, hey, listen, finally, you guys, I'd rather you just be happy. Be happy. And he says this, aim for restoration. Now, that word restoration, it actually means wholeness. It means goodness, So he says this, your life, if you're going to be happy, you have to aim your life at something good that leads to wholeness, that leads to restoration. Restoring what? Restoring how you felt in the garden. See, there's a little piece of Eden in every single one of us still. There's a little part of that that remains in every one of us. It's the reason why when we see injustices, we go, I hate that. It's the reason why when we fall short of our own values or the values that the Bible holds for us, we feel terrible. Why? Because it's really not who we were created to be. There's a part of us that goes, yuck. And that part of us that goes, yuck, is not something that we need to push away to make ourselves happy. It's something that we need to embrace and go, huh. How do I need to change? Just like a football coach or something. Now, this is foreign for me, just so you know. Like, I'm out of my depth right now. I'm, I'm about to use a football illustration. I know nothing about sports w- whatsoever, okay? So, I'm a, so, but it's like a football coach, right? And, and that football coach is running down the sideline with the, with the players and he's screaming at them. He's not mad at, well, he's sometimes mad at them, but, but like, he's screaming at them. But what he's screaming for is he's like, I want you to win. I want you to be the best that you can possibly be. And this is what's happening here in the text. He's saying, I want you to be restored. I want you to be okay. But I want you to be okay like we were a long time ago. I want you to be well again. I don't want you to walk around constantly aiming your life at things that are going to destroy you. And if you aim your life at something that's going to destroy you, eventually, as you walk down that path, you're going to get more hurt and more hurt and more hurt. And I can tell you right now, that's why several of us, there's the reason why I came when I was young, Has my family disintegrated? And it's the reason why many of us come to church in the first place. And some people go, oh, that's a crutch. Yeah. Yeah, it's help. It's hope. And people who are broken, we need it. And we've got to aim our life at the right thing. And if we don't aim our life at the right thing, it always purports consequences into us. And they're painful so Paul finishes with this whole coaching thing and he's yelling at them and he says, guys, finally, I want you to be happy. Aim for wholeness with your life. Comfort, look at what he says. Here's how we're gonna do it. We're gonna comfort one another. How much comfort is there in the world right now? There's just not a lot, right? There's just not a lot. There's not a lot of comfort in the world today. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. How much agreement is there today? Right? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of ludicrous. We've, we're reaching a heated pinnacle of uh, uh, of disagreement in our culture, in our society, but let me tell you something: when you aim your life at Jesus, Jesus becomes your primary identity. I want you to think about this. So, 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 look, 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 this is super important. Your your sexuality is not your primary identity. Your race is not your why? Because Jesus is what I hold on to. My race is not my primary uh, identity. Just look around the room right now. We have people from. All kinds of different races in the room. We have them in every single service. We have African-American, we have Asian, we have Hispanic, we have um, lots of others that I'm not thinking Indian. We have all kinds of different there's all kinds of different races here. And why? Because what we're saying together is not that we agree politically on everything, or that we agree in, 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 in a lot of ways. But here's what we do have this one thing in common, and that is Jesus. And Jesus is the deepest thing about us. It's not my politics. Shouldn't be. It's not my race. It's not my economic class. I've got rich people in here and poor people in the room. It's none of that. What is it? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So when he says, I want you guys to agree with one another, he's saying, I want you to agree in Jesus that our job in this life is to be on mission to help other people take their next step toward Christ and for us to be continually doing that. Because that, a life, a byproduct of the life well-lived is that we get to be light and winsome and we don't have to walk around angry all the time. It says this, live in peace with one another. You know what that means? In the Old Testament, the Bible says this, when someone insults you, let it roll off your back. I mean, We're just not good at that anymore. And let me just tell you, the man, the woman, who can just let something roll off, their, we're not talking about soul-wrenching, gut-wrenching pain. We're just talking about the things that we see on television every single day almost. Just let them roll off your back. Why? Because that's the strong position. The weak person has to go, no, 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 I'm going to fight all the time. I just want you to think about it. The Bible says our job is to agree with one another, to live in peace with one another. And then it says this, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, I say this thing over and over and over again here. It's just something that I say. It's kind of my little mantra over and over And I want you to like have it in your head because I want you to constantly think about it. When we show up, God shows up, right? And sometimes people go, I I don't know about that. So I want you to see it in this passage in verse 11. He says this, finally, brothers, rejoice. In other words, be happy. Aim your life at something that is whole, right? Namely, Jesus. And then it says, comfort one another. That's you. Agree with one another, that's you. Live in peace with one another, that's you. And then there's God. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So if I'm doing these things, then the God of love and peace will be with me. But if I'm not doing these things, if I'm not aiming my life in those, in those ways, then I'm not going to find the kind of happiness in my work, in my life, or in any way. I want you to, to think about this. Because... I have a friend, have a friend who, uh, who just talked to me about this the other day. He said, his name's Chris. He attends our church. He's a great guy. He said, hey, I got to apologize. I stepped away from ministry for a little while. I go, I know. I said, I said, it's okay. He goes, I'm just really busy. I said, Chris, I know. You're finishing your MBA. You've got little kids. Like, I get it. Like, is, your life is crazy busy. And he goes, he goes, yeah, but here's what I didn't realize. I didn't realize that when I pulled away from the church, when I pulled away from serving, that that would cause me damage. that that I didn't realize that giving my life away for other people actually gave back to me. Now, this is where work and happiness come together right now, and this is the whole point of the message. I'll tell you the story, two two quick ones. Here we go. Number one. Um, There's a story in the Old Testament about these guys. It's a a whole city of people, right? And they come together, and they're going to build this tower. And they said, we're going to build this tower, and it's going to be for our name, for our reputation, like, we're going to build a tower. Their job was build a tower so they could stand up in heaven with God. <laughs> Most scholars believe, they, so they, they, take these, uh, they take these bricks, these clay bricks, and they start putting them one on top of another. Most scholars believe that the Tower of Babel, uh, it was, was the name of this tower, was built around 40-something feet. So they didn't quite get there. And so, so, so there they are. They're building it. They're building it. They're building it. And Moses is documenting this in the book of Genesis. And Moses writes, because he kind of writes, uh, comparing how silly it was for them to think that they can build this tower to god and he goes and when moses writes about the story he goes and then god looked down from heaven to see what men were doing and nowhere else does god look down except for the fact that he can't see this really big tower they're building right and so so he looks down from heaven he looks at the building but god gets angry why because he sees that they're building it for their name for their glory for their benefit not for his See, when God stripped us of the environment that we lived in where it was bliss, he did so because he wanted us to be reminded that the environment that pushes back with us right now, the thorns and thistles, all the hardships that we have in life right now, he wanted us to know, he really wanted us to know that his way is better. It was easier. It was clearer and it was right and it was good. And so, the, so God looks down from how, heaven at the Tower of Babel, and he says, he says he, he, basically what he does is he confuses their language, which I think is hilarious. You've got these two guys, and they're on the assembly line, right? Steve and John. And, uh, and Steve is just kind of putting the brick together, and he's putting the mortar, and he's doing this. He says, he goes, um, he goes John, I need another brick. And John goes, okay? And he goes, me llamo Jose. You know? And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, they don't know how to speak to one another anymore. They don't know what to say. And the Bible says they just all start walking away. Because we can't talk to each other anymore. I know Jose, but his name's John, and he can't understand me. I can't understand him. And they just kind of go away, and they start scattering away. This is what happens. Like when we do, watch this, when we do things for our own name, it disintegrates the world around us. It disintegrates our relationships because now it's me first, man. It's me. It's me at the exclusion of you. Why? Because this is my kingdom. There's a story of a king in the Bible. I'll read you the conclusion of the story. Uh, His name is Nebuchadnezzar, right? I'll give you $30 if you can spell it. Nebuchadnezzar, and this is what he says. And this comes out of Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verse 30. It says this, As he, King Nebuchadnezzar, looked across the city, he said, "Look at this great city." Now, this great city that he's talking about here, this is Iraq today. This is what Babylon is, right? As he, King Nebuchadnezzar, looked across the city, he said, "Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor." And then immediately, God speaks from heaven because this is this this city that he built, um, that his people built for him is one of the, the, the great natural wonders of the world at that time. It was the hanging gardens of Babylon were stunning, even to, by modern standards. And so what ends up happening is God speaks from heaven. He goes, Nebuchadnezzar, he goes, because you've done this for your own glory and not for my glory, you will eat of the grass, the field. And for years and years and years, this madman, people would walk by and scoff him. He was the, he was the king, and now he just eats grass out in the, out in the wilderness until one day in his own mind, this maddening mind that he had, he says, you know, you're right, I did it for my glory, I should have done it for your glory. And immediately God says, it's okay, come on back, and I'll restore you to your kingdom. I mean, how do you follow King Grass Eater? You know, that's a a strange, strange thing. But God does it, he restores him. We were not meant to build something in our own name. He put us in the garden because he said, I want you to reflect my glory and my goodness. I want you to be like me. And when we aim our life at things that do not bring him glory, but only bring us glory, it ends up causing us all kinds of pain and suffering. And there's no happiness in that. And I'll just give you like an example internally because you're feeling this probably right now. Some of us feel so much like we're building our whole world on our own shoulders. I've got these skills, I've got these abilities, I'm building this thing. And I believe God's called all of us to build something. He's called moms to build children and families and dads to build families and some moms to build businesses and some dads to build businesses. He's called us to build things. He just causes, calls us to build lives. And as he calls us to build these lives, he says, hey, listen, I want, you to, I want you to build this life. And as you're building this life, as you're aiming it at the right things, good things are going to happen. But when you aim it at the wrong thing, here's what happens. As you're taking steps towards the wrong thing, what ends up happening is you have more weight on the inside of you, more stress on the inside of you. And here's the reason why. Because it all depends on you. Because if you fail, you're the great loser. But here's what's even worse. If you succeed, what does it say about me? Everybody thinks I'm smart. and Everybody thinks I'm great. Everybody thinks that I'm competent. Everyone thinks I'm powerful. In other words, it's my own way of saving myself. And I don't need Jesus. I built my life. And if you're building that on that kind of soil right now, and if you're aiming at that for your life, I promise you that the predetermined conclusion of that lifestyle is one of disintegration. You'll be apart from God forever and ever and ever. And apart from your family, your friends, this is what drives people to work until they cannot stand, their family cannot stand to be around them. Why? Because it's all about me at the end of the day. So here's, here's, I'm gonna give you a radical solution, okay? Radical solution, especially for some of you who are like not regular church people, you're gonna be like, here it is, all right? Okay, put up the diagram. So this diagram represents just a few, not all all of them, of course, but just a few categories that we have in our life, right, that we're involved in on a regular basis, right? Uh, Health. I'm actually not involved in that one. Uh, Education, uh, home, uh, relationships, work, friendships, family. Now, here's what I want to say. When life gets stressful, just like my buddy did, when life gets really, really stressful, and you're thinking, man, I can't do it all, because you can't. None of us can can't do it all. I'm gonna subtract one of these things. Maybe I'm gonna subtract my health. I'm gonna subtract my family. Uh, but normally, what on diagrams in our own lives, we just have church as one of those, those points. Here's what I'm gonna say, this radical thing, right? And that's this. Church is supposed to be the center of your life. Church is supposed to listen, if you're a Christian and church is not the center of your life, your life is aimed at the wrong thing. You're like, well, no, no, it's aimed at my family. My family is very important. Your family is awesome. But listen, my wife would have children or she just had, well, one at a time, but she would have a child and that child would be at church the next day. I mean, we were just, we've always, like my kid right now, my 16 year old, he's teaching your young kids right back there right now. He's up on stage behind us and he's teaching your kids and he's awesome at it. And that's not because he's my kid, could be your kid too. In fact, it is some of your kids doing that. Your whole life is supposed to be aimed at the church. And out of that flows my understanding of my family. Out of that, church informs my understanding of my family. Church informs my health. Church informs my education. Church informs my home. Church informs my relationships. Church informs my work. Church informs my friendships. And when church is the the primary thing out of which your whole life flows, now you have perspective. Why? Because we're not building a church for ourselves. None of us are building this for ourselves. We're building it for each other. And God's the one that's building it. The Bible's fundamentally clear. God builds the church. And trust me, man, I've been doing this for 16 years, man. And six for 16 years, watch this, this. For 16 years, we've had growth like this. That's been good. It's been awesome. But in the last two years, growth has been like this. Did I just all of a sudden become a better preacher? Yes. No, 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 no. The same, the same messages for 16 years, just being faithful. Just, you know, every, every, just kind of just trying to build something. But at the end of the day, God comes in. He goes, all right, now, this is your time. And he blesses. And the same thing's true for your life if you don't build it in your own name. So let's build something for the sake of each other and for the sake of Orlando because more and more people need to hear no Jesus because Jesus is the thing that we're supposed to be aiming our life at. Amen? Amen. 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 Father, thank you for your love for us. Father, you, you, are, you are genuinely a good father. You love us. You help us to aim our life at the right things. God, you even, when we're aimed at the wrong thing, you'll even come in and strengthen us and challenge us. Sometimes you'll even rebuke us because you love us. You don't want us to be destroyed. You don't want us to be far from each other. You don't want us to be far from you. So we ask even now, God, that that person right now who's not aimed at the church, That's not aimed at Jesus. We pray that you'd help just convict them that this is exactly what needs to happen. They need to certainly build their families and build their businesses and build all the things that they're building in their life. But those are secondary to the thing that you're building in this world and that is your church, a place of hope and a refuge for people who have never done it right, who can acknowledge that and then want to be set free. We love you with all of our heart.
0: We give you all all that we are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.